Question 89. Part 1 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae. Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues. The Virtue of Justice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae. Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues. The Virtue of Justice, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 89 of Oaths in Ten Articles, Part 1, Articles 1 through 5. We must now consider those external acts of religion, whereby something divine is taken by man, and this is either a sacrament or the name of God. The place for treating of the taking of a sacrament will be in the third part of this work. Of the taking of God's name, we shall treat now. The name of God is taken by man in three ways. First, by way of oath in order to confirm one's own assertion. Secondly, by way of adjuration as an inducement to others. Thirdly, by way of invocation for the purpose of prayer or praise. Accordingly, we must first treat of oaths, and under this head there are ten points of inquiry. First, what is an oath? Second, whether it is lawful. Third, what are the accompanying conditions of an oath? Fourth, of what virtue is it an act? Fifth, whether oaths are desirable and to be employed frequently as something useful and good. Sixth, whether it is lawful to swear by a creature. Seventh, whether an oath is binding. Eighth, which is more binding, an oath or a vow. Ninth, whether an oath is subject to dispensation. Tenth, who may lawfully swear and when? First article, whether to swear is to call God to witness. Objection one. It would seem that to swear is not to call God to witness. Whoever invokes the authority of Holy Writ calls God to witness, since it is his word that Holy Writ contains. Therefore, if to swear is to call God to witness... Whoever invoked the authority of Holy Writ would swear. But this is false. Therefore, the antecedent is false also. Objection to further. One does not pay anything to a person by calling him to witness. But he who swears by God pays something to him, for it is written in Matthew 5.33, Thou shalt pay thy oaths to thy Lord. And Augustine says that to swear, iurare, is to pay the right, jus redere, of truth to God. Therefore, to swear is not to call God to witness. Objection 3 further. The duties of a judge differ from the duties of a witness, as shown above in questions 67 and 70. Now sometimes a man, by swearing, implores the divine judgment, according to Psalm 7, verse 5, 
If I have rendered to them that repaid me evils, let me deservedly fall empty before my enemies. Therefore, to swear is not to call God to witness. On the contrary, Augustine says in a sermon on perjury, When a man says, By God, what else does he mean that God is his witness? I answer that, as the Apostle says in Hebrews 6.16, oaths are taken for the purpose of confirmation. Now speculative propositions receive confirmation from reason, which proceeds from principles known naturally and infallibly true. But particular contingent facts regarding man cannot be confirmed by a necessary reason, wherefore propositions regarding such things are wont to be confirmed by witnesses. Now a human witness does not suffice to confirm such matters for two reasons. First, on account of man's lack of truth, for many give way to lying, according to Psalm 16, verse 10. Their mouth has spoken lies. Secondly, on account of his lack of knowledge, since he can know neither the future, nor secret thoughts, nor distant things, yet men speak about such things, and our everyday life requires that we should have some certitude about them. Hence the need to have recourse to a divine witness, for neither can God lie, nor is anything hidden from him. Now to call God to witness is named yorare, to swear, because it is established as though it were a principle of law, yure, that what a man asserts under the invocation of God as his witness should be accepted as true. Now sometimes God is called to witness as when we assert present or past events, and this is termed a declaratory oath. While sometimes God is called to witness in confirmation of something future, and this is termed a promissory oath. But oaths are not employed in order to substantiate necessary matters, and such as come under the investigation of reason, for it would seem absurd in a scientific discussion to wish to prove one's point by an oath. Reply to Objection 1. It is one thing to employ a divine witness already given, as when one adduces the authority of Holy Scripture, and another to implore God to bear witness, as in an oath. Reply to Objection 2. A man is said to pay his oaths to God because he performs what he swears to do, or because, from the very fact that he calls upon God to witness, he recognizes him as possessing universal knowledge and unerring truth. Reply to Objection 3. A person is called to give witness, in order that he may make known the truth about what is alleged. Now there are two ways in which God makes known whether the alleged facts are true or not. In one way, he reveals the truth simply, either by inward inspiration or by unveiling the facts, namely, by making public what was hitherto secret. In another way, by punishing the lying witness, and then he is at once judge and witness, since by punishing the liar he makes known his lie. Hence oaths are of two kinds, 
One is a simple contestation of God, as when man says, God is my witness, or I speak before God, or by God, which has the same meaning as Augustine states in the citation of the On the Contrary. The other is by cursing, and consists in a man binding himself or something of his to punishment, if what is alleged be not true. Second article, whether it is lawful to swear. Objection one. It would seem that it is not lawful to swear. Nothing forbidden in the divine law is lawful. Now swearing is forbidden, according to Matthew 5.34, but I say to you not to swear at all. And in James 5.12, above all things, my brethren, swear not. Therefore, swearing is unlawful. Objection to further. Whatever comes from an evil seems to be unlawful, because according to Matthew 7.18, neither can an evil tree bring forth good fruit. Now swearing comes from an evil, for it is written in Matthew 5.37, but let your speech be, yea, yea, no, no and that which is over and above these is of evil. Therefore, swearing is apparently unlawful. Objection 3 further. To seek a sign of divine providence is to tempt God, and this is altogether unlawful, according to Deuteronomy 6.16, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now he that swears seems to seek a sign of divine providence, since he asks God to bear witness, and this must be by some evident effect. Therefore, it seems that swearing is altogether unlawful. On the contrary, it is written, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and shalt swear by his name. I answer that, Nothing prevents a thing being good in itself, and yet becoming a source of evil to one who makes use thereof unbecomingly. Thus to receive the Eucharist is good, and yet he that receives it unworthily eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, as is stated in 1 Corinthians 11.29. Accordingly, in answer to the question in point, it must be stated that an oath is in itself lawful and commendable. This is proved from its origin and from its end. From its origin, because swearing owes its introduction to the faith whereby man believes that God possesses unerring truth and universal knowledge and foresight of all things. And from its end, since oaths are employed in order to justify men and to put an end to controversy. Confer Hebrews 6.16. Yet an oath becomes a source of evil to him that makes evil use of it, that is, who employs it without necessity and due caution. For if a man calls God as witness for some trifling reason, it would seemingly prove him to have but little reverence for God, since he would not treat even a good man in this manner. Moreover, he is in danger of committing perjury, because man easily offends in words, according to James 3.2, 
If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. Wherefore it is written in Ecclesiasticus 23 verse 9, Let not thy mouth be accustomed to swearing, for in it there are many falls. Reply to Objection 1. Jerome, commenting on Matthew 5.34, says, Observe that our Savior forbade us to swear, not by God, but by heaven and earth. For it is known that the Jews have this most evil custom of swearing by the elements. Yet this answer does not suffice, because James adds, nor by any other oath. Wherefore, we must reply that, as Augustine states in On Lying 15, when the Apostle employs an oath in his epistles, he shows us how we are to understand the saying, I say to you not to swear at all, lest to wit, swearing lead us to swear easily, and from swearing easily we contract the habit, and from swearing habitually we fall into perjury. Hence we find that he swore only when writing, because thought brings caution and avoids hasty words. Reply to Objection 2 According to Augustine, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, 117, if you have to swear, note that the necessity arises from the infirmity of those whom you convince, which infirmity is indeed an evil. Accordingly, he did not say, that which is over and above is evil, but is of evil. For you do no evil, since you make good use of swearing by persuading another to a useful purpose. Yet it comes of evil of the person by whose infirmity you are forced to swear. Reply to Objection 3. He who swears tempts not God, because it is not without usefulness and necessity that he implores the divine assistance. Moreover, he does not expose himself to danger if God be unwilling to bear witness there and then, for he certainly will bear witness at some future time when he will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of hearts, as is stated in 1 Corinthians 4.5. And this witness will be lacking to none who swears, neither for nor against him. Third article. Whether three accompanying conditions of an oath are suitably assigned, namely, justice, judgment, and truth. Objection 1. It would seem that justice, judgment, and truth are unsuitably assigned as the conditions accompanying an oath. Things should not be enumerated as diverse, if one of them includes the other. Now of these three, one includes another, since truth is a part of justice, according to Tully, in Rhetoric 2.53. And judgment is an act of justice, as stated above in Question 60, Article 1. Therefore, the three accompanying conditions of an oath are unsuitably assigned. Objection to further. Many other things are required for an oath, namely, devotion and faith, whereby we believe that God knows all things and cannot lie. Therefore, the accompanying conditions of an oath are insufficiently enumerated. Objection 3 further. These three are requisite in man's every deed. 
since he ought to do nothing contrary to justice and truth, or without judgment, according to 1 Timothy 5.21, do nothing without prejudice, that is, without previous judgment. Therefore, these three should not be associated with an oath any more than with other human actions. On the contrary, it is written in Jeremiah 4.2, Thou shalt swear, as the Lord liveth, in truth, and in judgment, and in justice. Which words Jerome expounds, saying, Observe that an oath must be accompanied by these three conditions, truth, judgment, and justice. I answer that, as stated above in Article 2, an oath is not good except for one who makes good use of it. Now two conditions are required for the good use of an oath. First, that one swear, not for frivolous but for urgent reasons, and with discretion. And this requires judgment or discretion on the part of the person who swears. Secondly, as regards the point to be confirmed by oath, that it be neither false nor unlawful, and this requires both truth, so that one employ an oath in order to confirm what is true, and justice, so that one confirm what is lawful. A rash oath lacks judgment, a false oath lacks truth, and a wicked or unlawful oath lacks justice. Reply to Objection 1. Judgment does not signify here the execution of justice, but the judgment of discretion, as stated above. Nor is truth here to be taken for the part of justice, but for a condition of speech. Reply to Objection 2. Devotion, faith, and like conditions, requisite for the right manner of swearing, are implied by judgment. For the other two, regard things sworn to, as stated above. We might also reply that justice regards the reason for swearing. Reply to Objection 3. There is great danger in swearing, both on account of the greatness of God, who is called upon to bear witness, and on account of the frailty of the human tongue, the words of which are confirmed by oath. Hence these conditions are more requisite for an oath than for other human actions. Fourth Article. Whether an oath is an act of religion or latria. Objection 1. It would seem that an oath is not an act of religion or latria. Acts of religion are about holy and divine things. But oaths are employed in connection with human disputes, as the Apostle declares in Hebrews 6.16. Therefore, swearing is not an act of religion or latria. Objection to further. It belongs to religion to give worship to God, as Tully says in his Rhetoric 253. But he who swears offers nothing to God, but calls God to be his witness. Therefore, swearing is not an act of religion or latria. Objection 3 further. The end of religion or latria is to show reverence to God. But the end of an oath is not this, but rather the confirmation of some assertion. Therefore, 
swearing is not an act of religion. On the contrary, it is written in Deuteronomy 6 verse 13, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and shalt serve him only, and thou shalt swear by his name. Now he speaks there of the servitude of religion. Therefore, swearing is an act of religion. I answer that, as appears from what has been said above in Article 1, he that swears calls God to witness in confirmation of what he says. Now nothing is confirmed save by what is more certain and more powerful. Therefore, in the very fact that a man swears by God, he acknowledges God to be more powerful by reason of his unfailing truth and his universal knowledge, and thus in a way he shows reverence to God. For this reason, the Apostle says in Hebrews 6.16 that men swear by one greater than ourselves, and Jerome, commenting on Matthew 5.34, says that he who swears either reveres or loves the person by whom he swears. The philosopher too states in Metaphysics 1.3 that to swear is to give very great honor. Now to show reverence to God belongs to religion or latria. Wherefore it is evident that an oath is an act of religion or latria. Reply to Objection 1. Two things may be observed in an oath. The witness adduced, and this is divine, and the thing witnessed to, or that which makes it necessary to call the witness, and this is human. Accordingly, an oath belongs to religion by reason of the former, and not of the latter. Reply to Objection 2. In the very fact that a man takes God as his witness by way of an oath, he acknowledges him to be greater, and this pertains to the reverence and honor of God, so that he offers something to God, namely, reverence and honor. Reply to Objection 3. Whatsoever we do, we should do it in honor of God, wherefore there is no hindrance if by intending to assure a man we show reverence to God. For we ought so to perform our actions in God's honor that they may conduce to our neighbor's good, since God also works for his own glory and for our good. Fifth article. Whether oaths are desirable and to be used frequently as something useful and good. Objection 1. It would seem that oaths are desirable and to be used frequently as something useful and good. Just as a vow is an act of religion, so is an oath. Now it is commendable and more meritorious to do a thing by vow, because a vow is an act of religion, as stated above in question 88, article 5. Therefore, for the same reason, to do or say a thing with an oath is more commendable, and consequently, oaths are desirable as being good essentially. Objection to further. Jerome, commenting on Matthew 5.34, says that he who swears either reveres or loves the person by whom he swears. Now reverence and love of God are desirable as something good essentially. Therefore, swearing is also. 
Objection 3 further. Swearing is directed to the purpose of confirming or assuring. But it is a good thing for a man to confirm his assertion. Therefore, an oath is desirable as a good thing. On the contrary, it is written in Ecclesiasticus 23 verse 12, A man that sweareth much shall be filled with iniquity. And Augustine says in On Lying 15 that The Lord forbade swearing in order that for your own part you might not be fond of it and take pleasure in seeking occasions of swearing as though it were a good thing. I answer that whatever is required merely as a remedy for an infirmity or a defect is not reckoned among those things that are desirable for their own sake, but among those that are necessary. This is clear in the case of medicine, which is required as a remedy for sickness. Now an oath is required as a remedy to a defect, namely, some man's lack of belief in another man. Wherefore an oath is not to be reckoned among those things that are desirable for their own sake, but among those that are necessary for this life, and such things are used unduly whenever they are used outside the bounds of necessity. For this reason Augustine says, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, 117, he who understands that swearing is not to be held as a good thing, that is, desirable for its own sake, restrains himself as far as he can from uttering oaths, unless there be urgent need. Reply to Objection 1. There is no parity between a vow and an oath, because by a vow we direct something to the honor of God, so that for this very reason a vow is an act of religion. On the other hand, in an oath, reverence for the name of God is taken in confirmation of a promise. Hence, what is confirmed by oath does not, for this reason, become an act of religion, since moral acts take their species from the end. Reply to Objection 2. He who swears does indeed make use of his reverence or love for the person by whom he swears. He does not, however, direct his oath to the reverence or love of that person, but to something else that is necessary for the present life. Reply to Objection 3. Even as a medicine is useful for healing, and yet the stronger it is, the greater harm it does if it be taken unduly, so to an oath is useful indeed as a means of confirmation, yet the greater the reverence it demands, the more dangerous it is, unless it be employed aright. For, as it is written in Ecclesiasticus 23, verse 13, If he make it void, that is, if he deceive his brother, his sin shall be upon him, and if he dissemble it, by swearing falsely and with dissimulation, he offendeth double. Because, to wit, pretended equity is a twofold iniquity, as Augustine declares, and if he swear in vain, that is, without due cause and necessity, he shall not be justified. End of question 89. Part 1. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.